Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the number 57 issue of X-Men, June 1969, titled... The Sentinels live, live, live. When I was a kid, I was a lazy reader, and so I didn't bother to look at the entire word as I read it. So I came up okay. with some, I came up with some weird pronunciations, and I would say so you that, were reading the Exma. <laughs> yeah, I just dropped off the last letter of every word. No, it by, wasn't by Marca Group. It wasn't that. I mean, simple words like that I would I would deal with easily, but when it was. <laughs> Words that I didn't quite understand, like sentinels, for example. It's not a word that, uh, well, how old was I when I was reading X-Men? I was probably in fifth grade, so what are you, 11 or so? Sure. So in 11, when I was 11 years old, I had no concept of what the root of sentinel was. I don't know what sentinel meant, right? And mm-hmm. since I had never seen it, I just kind of looked at it. And so uh, it's just a long-winded way of me saying that as I read the early X-Men that featured sentinels, I always pronounced it centennials. <laughs> and I thought that that was kind of a cool name. Sure, I guess. <laughs> oh, this issue's got some centennials. <laughs> I also butchered Rogue's name and probably some others. Rogue, what I did could, you call Rogue? I just never like read. Ragu? Rogue you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know what a rogue was either. So here I am, just reading. And there's all these vowels in this word, and I'm like, rogue you. But I mean, you're reading it to yourself, so it's like you just kind of you acknowledge it. It's like when you see a clover, you don't need to actually pronounce the whole thing. You just look at it, and you're like, ah, oh, it's a clover, and you just keep going, right? So when I'd see rogue you, I would just be like, that just doesn't work. But I'd keep going because I could recognize what it was. Well, it's similar to the Magneto thing. Ah, sure. Magneto and uh, Mesmero is my pronunciation. Because, again, I didn't know what a Mesmer was. And uh, even earlier than that, when I was reading Reggie and uh, Archie comics, I would pronounce Reggie's name Reggie. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and Jughead, they would they would call him Juggy, like, hey, Juggy. But I would, for some reason, say that was Judgy. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, I know. And then what was, oh, and Veronica. Like, I just dropped the N and called her Verica. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. I You were one of those special kids. <laughs> just wasn't really into reading the way you're supposed to read. Just kind of making up <laughs> my own thing. Well, anyways, okay, so this is uh, this is the X-Men, and there are three Sentinels on the cover, and they are ripping the X-Men to shreds. It looks like one of the Sentinels has... Angel by both of his arms and is about to rip him in half. Mm-hmm. Another sentinel has Iceman by the torso, and uh, Cyclops is holding Gene aside as he blasts away a third sentinel. And Beast, Beast is just climbing on a sentinel. And at the bottom of the page, there is a um, a man, I guess, dressed mm-hmm. up in some sort of fancy. 
robotic costume yeah saying the sentinels live and he's got like a like a little miniature globe for a heart oh yeah he does i didn't even notice that and he's got like a uh, cerebro type hat and some valves and stuff are coming out of him so he's like the central sentinel commander if you will if you judge by his face he's got a very small head like for that outfit you think so? <clears throat> like is oh sure. So, well, he's kind of like the master, right? Or who's the um, the Hulk villain with the bit, the leader? Oh, the he's leader? like the leader, yeah. Maybe it is the leader. <laughs> Ooh, a little crossover action. He is colored green, so you never know. I gotta say that this is a, a, a very cool cover. I like this cover a lot. This is yeah. just this is just saying. There is action in this comic book. Do not pass this one by. I'll give you that. Okay. I like it. So as we open the book up, we uh, finally reconvene with Lorna Dane, who is... Whatever happened to Lorna Dane? <laughs> Whatever did happen to Lorna Dane? Well, apparently she's been... She was living with Bobby at the mansion for like a day or something, but then she moved out to her own apartment and apparently designed... Yeah, or yeah, and apparently she designed a new costume or something. Is I I wasn't sure if it was new or if it's the same one she had before. Well, it could be, but I don't know what she's talking about. She's like, oh, it'll take more than a costume and green curls and a new apartment in Manhattan to pep up those fading magnetic powers of yours. Like, why is she hanging out in her apartment in her costume when she's not even a superhero, per se? Maybe she feels like. All of these great things that are happening in her life will help her powers uh, come back. Did she they seem to be fading? Yeah, but she never lost her powers, did she? Well, not in the issues that we saw, but somewhere in between those okay. issues and this issue, apparently her powers have been fading. Okay. So she thought, well, maybe if I throw on my costume and really get into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The powers will come back. Maybe she's. Maybe this is like uh, the X-Men tryout. She's like, well, you know what? I think I'm into what those X-Men do. So maybe I'll train hard and maybe they'll let me onto the team. Yeah. Maybe. So but for... it was not meant to be as from both sides of her, uh, one from the door and one from it looks like just a wall, comes a large uh, noise. Bam, bam, bam. Great leaden foots approaching from two sides. Yikes. Prepare yourself, mutant. The Sentinels live. No, no help. It seems odd that the Sentinels would, first of all, engage Lorna in conversation and then stop to be like, oh, and by the way, we live. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do they have any concept that they're like the second generation of Sentinels? I don't know. Just yeah, get, I guess they must. It's kind of uh, well. Why? Why would you even program that in there? Like, oh, by the way, your uh, your brothers or whatever you want to call them, they're they're de they died, so you're the replacement. And they're computers, so they, should they even be able to process that information? I'm not sure. Maybe uh, maybe they're the uh, maybe they're actually the same Sentinels. Maybe they just got the parts oh. <clears throat> from the defunct Sentinels and rebuilt them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the from the... this this one is number seven, which would be in the original series. That's a good point. So it's a possibility. 
So <clears throat> maybe that's all they're programmed to say. Prepare yourself, <laughs> mutants. The Sentinels live. They don't know what it means. <laughs> it's just a recording of whoever their controller <laughs> is just on repeat. They're walking down the street. And that's another question. So she's in a Manhattan apartment. So per- presumably she's in one of those big buildings on, you know, a multiple high floor, right? So this is a nice apartment too. It's big. It's spacious, very it's spacious. Very spacious. Um but so did the how did the Sentinels get up here? I mean, did they take the elevator? I mean, and when they got in the elevator, was there like a little old lady in there that was like, "I'll take the next one." <laughs> or anything like that because it doesn't really explain how these sentinels get into her apartment, but I've only been to Aren't they destroying things. And does the landlord? I mean, is the landlord going to be pretty upset about this? I've only been to Manhattan once, but I didn't really see any first-level apartments available. It all seemed like retail space, and the apartments were above everything. So, well, we know the sentinels can fly. I suppose they could have flown up there, but. But why do they come to the door? <laughs> well, I mean, and the way that the picture is drawn, it looks like the sentinel is actually knocking on the door politely. Right. Bam, bam, bam. Loudly, but politely. <laughs> but th- they appear to burst in. So. Meanwhile, halfway across the planet in Egypt, uh, the X-Men stand in a circle of destruction. There's yes, a- the circle of destruction caused by Alex Summers, my brother. Shattered by the power of one man, Angel. Mm-hmm. So they do a quick recap of uh, the temple was standing there for decades. and How does Angel know that? Oh, he's, you know, he's uh, he studied under the professor. Well, he says it took an army of slaves decades to build that ancient temple. How does he know? Well, Maybe it took them like a he, decade. We, we saw in his origin story that he got high marks in his classes. <laughs> he's a history buff. Right. So um, Cyclops is happy that his brother isn't hurt, but he's wondering why he's crouching there like a beast oh, we should at point bay. Out that this was a oh, yeah, sorry. production by uh, Roy Thomas Scripter, Neil Adams artist with the good right arm of Tom Palmer Inker and both left hands of Sam Rosen Letterer. Apparently uh, Tom Palmer and Neil Adams are a package deal as of this this X-Men comic. So who was inking last issue? Uh, Tom Palmer. Oh, okay. But uh, I mean, I guess, I guess this is the first time Tom, Tom Palmer has inked Neil Adams and he does, he seems to be doing quite a good job. Yeah. Yeah. You would almost think, I would almost think that an artist would want to have an inker team. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what it seemed like in the nineties. Yeah. Right. Uh, it seemed like much earlier you would just put whoever was available on the artistry and then the inking, and then you would just get mixed results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, <clears throat> so uh, Beast, or I'm sorry, uh, Alex is uh, uh, crouching like a beast at bay, uh, and they're still kind of recapping about the living pharaohs uh, standing. Apparently he's got clothes on now. Oh, that's not the professor? No. Oh, I thought that was Professor X. No, he's dead, Adam. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. I thought he was back, but no, no, it's it's the Pharaoh. The living Pharaoh apparently is bald, and he's no yes. longer called the living uh, monolith. Yeah, he's just back to being the living Pharaoh now. But he's not even in his Pharaoh garb, so... He, he should be the living guy. <laughs> I'm just the living man now. All will bow before the living man. 
Alex is talking about uh, evidence. Don't uh, uh, doesn't the evidence of your eyes mean anything to you? I will destroy everything. I am a walking disaster area. So, in four issues, we've gone from plucky college graduate to you know, Mister Mister Emo here. Yeah, Mister Whiny Summers. It's a Summers trait. <laughs> ah, yes. As soon as you develop your powers, you also develop your whininess. <laughs> So See, he did, he has a little flashback where he he explains how he was trapped in a chamber, an airtight chamber, and was scared and managed to absorb some cosmic rays and turn them into a pure destructive force, and destroyed an entire temple. But what would happen if what could he do to a living, breathing human? Mm-hmm. One second from now, I might destroy you all. So beat it, will ya? And leave me to my nightmares. Beast points out that Iceman and the cavalry, or the local constabulary, however you want to say it, is fast approaching. And the constabulary, who apparently rides camels to the crime scene. Yeah, it's like the head guy's on a camel followed by two guys in jeeps. Yeah. Or two jeeps. So the head guy leans down and says, Professor Abdol. Do the jeeps have to be driving really slow? <laughs> it's a really fast camel. <laughs> uh, apparently, the living uh, pharaoh's name is Professor Abdol, and uh, the constabulary here is saying, oh, you can't possibly be the menace. You're a great archaeologist, in so many words. And seeing his uh, option here, the living uh, pharaoh blames Alex for destroying a temple. And says, I unearthed this temple and he destroyed it. We must punish him. And uh, Cyclops tries to take it back and say, wait, 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 wait. This guy's the menace. He's the bad guy. And they don't, they don't buy it because they're not like Professor. They, they let the, the Professor, they let Abdul dress up in regular clothes. And now the X-Men just look like a bunch of crazies. You dare accuse Professor Abdul? Perhaps it's wisest that you are all taken into custody, beginning with the defiler of the ancient edifice. This guy has assessed the situation and made a decision. Correct. He's, he's efficient. He's a decision maker. He's not going to weigh the facts or take time, you know. He's going to just decide. So, Alex, he's like, ah, oh, stay back, or else you're taking your own life in your hands. To which somebody with a gun shouts, no man may threaten us. <laughs> I Well, he gets cut off. Yeah. But yeah. who says that? I, no man may threaten us. This guy, <laughs> apparently. That's when Alex says, it's happening again. And he lets loose a big scash. Or that's the sound of his blast. And Causing <clears throat> the guy just to drop his gun, apparently. It, it doesn't look like the guy's hurt. Nope. And I'd like to point out that this is a very early uh, characterization of his powers. I think as we move forward on with the comic, uh, Alex's powers will be a little bit more refined as to how... Well, yeah, I mean, the costume has a lot to do with it, I I presume. I don't know, actually. I I can't wait to find out. I hope there's a story behind the costume. Because i got to be honest, in all of the years that I've read the X-Men, he's the one person whose costume has never changed... And it looks like it has a purpose, but I don't know what it is. Well, in the same way that Cyclops' method of 
using his mutant power has never changed. Mm, good point. So Angel flies into action and punches a couple of these people and uses... Actually, eventually Havoc gets a jacket. You're right. I I guess I'm talking about the, the years that I read, which would have been like the mid-80s to the late 90s. So a good 10 to 15 year stretch. His costume was the same costume as you see in the early, earlier X-Men. Right. And then later on, he also gets beamed to an alternate reality where he's the X-Man. I don't know if that counts within Marvel lore, but I don't think he wears the Havoc costume there either. Yeah, yeah. In the era of jackets, he definitely had a jacket. That's all I remember. I Everybody had a jacket. Everybody had a jacket. Well, anyways, uh, you know, one thing I dropped the ball on is uh, I was at, what's the what's the Gothy Mall store? Spencer's? No, the other one. Uh, um, no, not Spencer's. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about, oh, but on. I don't know what it's called. Oh, man. Somebody who's listening to it right this podcast right now is screaming it at their uh, iPhone <laughs> or iPod or whatever. Let's I, draw it out a little longer. <laughs> I can't. Think ah, of it's it. on the tip of my tongue. If only I could just say it. Well, anyways, I I was there uh, many many years ago, and I always like to go browse their uh, um, movie related T shirts because every now and then they'd have like an Evil Dead or a Dawn of the Dead T shirt, and you'd be like, "That's cool." And then you look at the price tag, and it's like twenty five dollars. I'm like, I'm not paying twenty five dollars for a t shirt. <laughs> You'd walk out the store. At least that's what I would do. But one time I was there, and they had a blue and gold X Men jacket, extra large, uh, perfect size. And I was like, oh man, this is awesome. It had the classic um, X on the on the saw on the arm, and the you know classic blue color for the jacket. And uh, the lady was like, that's really cool, isn't it? It would look good on you. And <laughs> I mean, obviously, just trying to make the sale. <clears throat> No, no, it was true, Jeremy. Yeah, that yeah. would have looked amazing on you. Yeah, and she wanted to... You were meant to have that jacket. She wanted to date me, too. She's like, you should buy that and take me to dinner. I said... <laughs> no, so anyways, I, I grabbed the jacket, and it was it was like $75. So I was like, you know, that, that I'm not going to... That was pretty much out of the question. But I picked it up. On the back of it, it had kind of a classic drawing of some of uh, the X-Men. And when, when I say classic, I mean from like the early 90s era. And I thought uh, at the time, I was like, nah, that's kind of dumb. I wish it was just a blue jacket with a yellow X. I thought the drawing of the X-Men on the back of it kind of ruined the jacket. But now today, in 2012, kind of wish I had it. Well, see, this is the point where you say, can I just try this on? <laughs> and then I run. And then you run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't even try it on. Because I looked at the back and I was like, no. Because I was like trying to be too cool for it. I was like, no. <laughs> I It would be cooler if it just had the X and not the pictures of the X-Men on it. And she disagreed with me, and so I left. <laughs> no dinner. I'm taking my sales elsewhere. <laughs> I'll see if they what have this jacket. You're just a girl. I'll see if they have this jacket at Spencer's. <laughs> I can't remember what that place is called. Anyways, so uh, back to the comic book at hand. Angel springs into action and uses a little bit of pig Latin and says, Now am scray while you still can. I don't know why. Uh, Cyclops points out that he refuses to shoot anybody because he's afraid of hurting someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and then we get a, a panel of Beast where Beast's leg looks really muscular and messed up. This feels like a drawing where maybe Neil Adams started on the leg and put <laughs> a lot of effort and detail into the leg, but then got to the rest of it and was like, eh, 
I got a lot of comic book left to draw. Because the rest of his body looks kind of phoned in. Although the hands are still good, I'll say. I, I feel like the leg is just a bad... The, some, something went wrong. I, everything I like everything except for the leg. Okay. I mean, it does look out of place, so it could go either way. So anyways, he, uh, he jumps into action, but... Um, Let's see. He says, uh, "Have you forgotten about the battle-bred beast? So uh, you know, a beast can do something without Cyclops's blasts." But meanwhile, the narration block of the comic book informs us that in the confusion of the fight, Alex has has taken off through the desert. Yeah, and um, I guess the battle. Well, the battle ensues, and Iceman points out that he can't find Alex, which is kind of weird. I don't know why is Iceman looking for Alex, but whatever. So this is my... Uh, well, and Cyclops flips the frick out. This is my favorite part of the whole comic book. His inner racist comes out, <laughs> and he says, You! You camel jockeys did this! It's <laughs> your fault he's gone. I was holding back before, but now the gloves are off! And he lets loose his optic blasts. In a panel which makes them all look like they're dead. Oh yeah, this next panel where let's see, it uh, it it does look like he basically disintegrates at least it's three. It's coated in red, and it's the bodies are hitting the ground and rolling over, like keeling over backwards. There's wind and dust and all sorts of particles flying around. But then the dialogue says, "Good thing that was a wide angle blast, Scotty, or they need more than a few band aids." I feel like that's. Not the intention of the artist, but oh, do you? Th- oh, this is the Marvel method. So, do you think Neil Adams is like they're dead? I'm they're I'm killing them. Yeah. And uh, then uh, Roy Thomas came along. He's like, well, <laughs> our guys don't kill. We yeah, they're teenagers. Come on. So yeah, you're right because you never see those guys again. And this could be any. This I mean, the panel could be like. Oh my! Oh my God, Scott! You killed them. I'm gonna fly up and see if I can see anybody. Okay, the coast is clear. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next panel is just like, Oh my God! I can't believe he did. You see him? He killed him. Look at him. Look at him over there. Something's wrong with him. <laughs> but that's not actually what is dialogued. Instead, they say that they're going to go fly out into the desert. They leave the living pharaoh behind. Oh right. But he's powerless now, so it's okay. Yeah. But Alex isn't powerless, so they better go find him before he destroys himself or a whole continent. Mm-hmm. So there's just a couple of bad plans here. First of all, Alex runs. He's wearing a kilt, basically, and nothing else. And uh, <laughs> he runs into the desert, which during the day is going to be stiflingly hot and during the night is going to be freezing cold. So mm-hmm. no matter how you face it, no matter how much power he's got, he's going to die due to exposure. The second bad plan is the X-Men just, they just pick a direction and start flying in it. In the desert. Well, they're going in a circle, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Concent- flying around. Yeah, maybe they're doing concentric circles in an outward pattern. Angels kind of doing, going opposite and meeting them back in the middle. Mm-hmm, maybe. Meanwhile, or uh, eventually, Alex finds a cave, and, and he turns evil because his uh, inner monologue says, The fools! Why don't they leave me alone? Well, that doesn't mean he's evil. It just means 
he's confused and and unhappy. Only evil people think like that <laughs> and use words such as fools. So this is what it means to be a mutant, to be afraid to touch anything, afraid even to breathe. Even Scott, who's always lived in fear of what his optic blast might do. How does he know that? I know, they just never had to cope with a power like mine. And how does he know that? They just they he literally <laughs> just met his brother, the mutant. Right. But it, I mean maybe he knows a lot about Cyclops. Oh, he's like, that's my favorite superhero. I am strangely drawn to Cyclops. I don't know why, but he's always been my favorite X-Man. So he says, my every moment is a menace. Or a menace. And it's at this point that a voice from off panel says, you need no longer worry, mutant, for you will never menace anyone ever again. Ooh. And then he says, Sentinels live! <laughs> So this is even worse than the first Sentinels dialogue because this guy's just barging into Alex's uh, internal conversation. And well, why is why is he talking out loud? Well, there's that. <laughs> but then there's also the fact that this mutant hunting robot answers him. I just want a conversation. <laughs> and throws it back in his face instead of just being like, uh, you know, you're dead. <laughs> like zapping him and it's like, you're yeah. dead. Or just grab him without making any noise. Exactly. So they're flying around, and somebody, uh, Angel says it's hopeless, and Marvel Girl gets her first words in of the issue. She says, <laughs> nothing's ever hopeless, Warren. Not if. And then, Hold it, Gene. <laughs> and Cyclops Hold that thought. <laughs> Till next issue. <laughs> Shut up, woman. <laughs> Something Angel said made me remember. Cerebro. What did Angel Angel say say that made him remember Cerebro? It's getting too dark even to see you people. This is hopeless. Oh, well, yeah. So kind of relates to Cerebro. Because his next line is, maybe it's mechanical eyes will succeed where ours failed. Oh, okay. So they need Cerebro to try to do some mutant detecting. But meanwhile, they have a video link back to Lorna Dane's apartment in their spaceship. I'm not sure. We'll have Bobby's girl, Lorna, hook up our mutant detector by long distance. So does she, like, have Cerebro in her apartment? I think she's got keys to the mansion. So she's going to drive from Manhattan to... Westchester. Uh, Massachusetts, or, or are they in Jersey? I don't know where Westchester is. I always thought it was... It's upstate New York. But oh, I don't okay. know how far upstate it is. So... Let's say it bare minimum four hours. Yeah, 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 traffic might be bad getting out of the out of the city. You know that, and she she may not even have a car. Might right? I mean, if she lives in Manhattan, she may not have a car, so she might have to cab it to Westchester. That's going to be horribly expensive. Or she'd have to get a bus or a train. Sure, sure. Which okay, would take even longer. Yeah, so she takes a train. But uh, so that's their plan. So they uh, open up the video link between their little Avenger car, which, by the way, they still have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they turn the video link on because apparently they like to walk her prancing around her apartment or something. But uh, in this case, they notice that Lorna's apartment is in shambles. To which Iceman immediately says, never mind that. Where the blazes is Lorna? And then he flips out. 
Look at him. He's like, he looks like a little child. In the bottom left-hand panel, he looks like a surprised little child. But then in the bottom right hand, he turns into an evil ice sculpture man. With... Perhaps she was out when it happened, Cyclops says. Or maybe she did it herself. Maybe, says Marvel, Marvel Girl in a completely stupid... Maybe she did it herself. She just decided... Maybe she trashed her own apartment, because that's what girls do. Maybe she threw a party and had Bernard over... <laughs> Maybe, At any rate, maybe for the second time in this issue, someone flips out. This time it's Iceman. Mm-hmm. Maybe, perhaps, I'm through with guessing games. I want to know what happened to Lorna, and I want to know now. He's in love. He's insane. A little bit. Well, these X-Men, ever since the professors died, have succumbed a lot to emotion. Bobby, sit down. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you. It's not going to work out between the two of you. <laughs> it's not going to last long anyways. <laughs> you 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 got a couple more issues tops. <laughs> so, but he doesn't know this yet. Um, <laughs> Beast, apparently, he says, uh, I'm with you, Frosty. So he Beast would also like to know now what happened to Lorna. And they decide that they're going rather than working as a team and solving one problem at a time that they will commandeer the next freighter US bound. Now when they say so, commandeer do they mean they're going to take it? Uh no, it's beast speaking so he's not being literal. Okay. Um so they drop off Cyclops who says he's going to do it. He's just going to search for Alex alone but Angel and Marvel Girl stay behind with him. Yeah, well, and, uh, Cyclops nobly says, don't bother with the freighter. Just take this Avenger car, and right. I'll I'll walk on foot to find Alex in the desert. And it's right. getting dark out. But don't worry about me. And then Bobby starts feeling bad. We left him with just a handful of supply, supplies. I didn't even have time to thank Scotty. He knows you'd do the same, Bobby. If it were Gene who might be endangered, Beast says. Which reminds me, we haven't heard much from Scott and Gene's relationship in a couple issues. I mean, it's kind of there, but we haven't had any of those uh, thought bubbles like, oh, if Scott were to be hurt, I don't know what I would do. That's very true. I wonder if Gene likes me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. That storyline seems to have been dropped a little bit. I mean, they keep referring back to it, but nobody's really trying to make any uh, progress on it. I wonder where they are in their relationship. Or is this just the status quo and the next time they're going to be like together? I don't know. They'll never really come out and explain their feelings to one another. Yeah, it's I mean, just, I'm, who knows? I'm, I don't know when they actually... Uh, uh, share their feelings with one another. I'm I'm hoping it's done on the comic page. I, I would have thought that it was done in the old series X-Men, but at this point I'm I'm kind of having my doubts. Yeah. And yes. I've read most I hope what happens in the next issue. If not, <laughs> we'll just have to make something up. Yeah. It doesn't happen by issue 65. We'll do a special edition where we just make make up what happened. <laughs> this is what you didn't see. It's like the classic X-Men tale, but it's told by us. Right. Okay. So, um, 
he okay so we now we see the crazy man that was on the cover of the comic book and he looks very much the same as he did on the cover of the comic book in fact he looks ex- almost exactly the same it's like it's not the same drawing for sure but it's definitely like a a, a same a, like in the same series of drawings mhm mhm it's as if Neil Adams drew like four or five of the exact same thing and he chose the best two to put it on the cover and in this panel so whoever this is, he says, so my instruments indicate the X-Men have split up. Okay. All righty. How does he know that? He's but got his own little cerebro, his sentinel he's got cerebro. cameras. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that won't save them from me now. So splitting up won't save them. Nothing will. Yeah. So his plan required that they be together, but he's, he's going to, you know, figure it out. Yeah, he's got a he's got he's got a plan, long term plan. Several hours later, they are able to traverse half the world and end up back at Lorna's apartment. The Avengers jet has a super fast mode, mm-hmm. double turbo. Right. <laughs> uh, look at her place; it's a wreck. Where's Lorna? We'll search every crevice and cranny, lad, and we'll begin. Looks like they break through the door. It does kind of look like they fly in. And the door's out. What? A... Hiding behind a bookshelf? Is that a bookshelf or is that... I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I like the idea that they're hiding behind a bookshelf. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it really does look like they just head-butted their way through this door rather than just opening it. Okay. Well, anyways. Uh, yes, hiding behind the bookshelf is a police officer. Two of them. Two of them, in fact. And uh, they say they continue the sentence by saying, "You'll begin, mutant, by lifting your hands high. You're under arrest." Police, American style this time. But why now? Or but how? Why? So the police don't actually say why the X Men are under arrest. I mean, I guess we can assume that it's because they think that these two were the ones who tore up Lorna's apartment and kidnapped her. But by this time, how Which would they... makes no sense at all. Why yeah. would they be coming back? But the X-Men assume that it's be just because they're mutants. Oh, yeah. I don't even know why the cops are here in the first place, unless maybe one of the neighbors heard a racket and decided to call the police. But then why would they be inside of Lorna's apartment? Maybe they were always inside of Lorna's apartment. <laughs> maybe. Uh... Iceman continues with his his uh, whatever he's got. You argue about the niceties of the law with him, Beast. All I care about is finding Lorna. And it'll take more than a phone call to do that. I guess referring he's to going obsessed. to He is. So he ices. Just be glad the, the X-Men aren't the killers you think you humans think we are. And then they go out the window and the upset officer picks up a chair and throws it at them. Uh, the other officer says, Joe, don't. The big one's by the window. If you hit him now, he might. And he does. He hits Beast, and Beast falls out the window. I think he hits Iceman. And to his death in four amazing panels. I think he hits Iceman, and then Iceman hits Beast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, the chair, it looks like the chair hits the back of Iceman and the back of Beast. Yeah. And these four panels, I got to say, are pretty cool. The falling monologue here. Yeah. 
But, I mean, he's, it's... He's fallen to his doom. Mm-hmm. There's really not much he can do. He flips over. He flips over again and again. He looks pretty scared. But then he sees something out of the corner of his eye and asks, What's that? A shaft of white something. And 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 feet before hitting the ground, uh Iceman whips up an ice slide and an ice pole <laughs> <laughs> for Beast to dance upon. <laughs> Uh, after emptying his shorts of the many dollar bills he's collected from his pole dance, he <laughs> jumps onto Iceman's ice slide because they're going to make it towards Cyclops's place, which is not far from here. This is the I Beast think... is so freaked out from having fallen, he, he shrivels up into like a little ball and mm-hmm. just rides the ice slide back. Yeah. He's not even moving. This is the first... He's got his knees like held tightly to his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like um it's like a little boy rocking in the corner after losing a toy or something like that. Um this is the first issue I think in which we discover that Cyclops has his own place. Yeah. Sykes got a place not far from here. We'll head there, map out a plan of action. Bobby's all right for now, but how long before he yields to bitter remorse? Over what? And as soon as they get to the apartment, he yields to bitter remorse. Yes, he does. He's got his head buried in his hands. Where's Lorna? What have they done with her? And why are the police after us? And why am I not wearing any clothes in this panel? (laughs) Apparently Cyclops' clothes don't fit Iceman either. (laughs) So uh, Beast turns on the television because when in doubt, the 6 o'clock news will clear up every matter that you may have. And we find out that a... (laughs) Federal did I lip-read the word mutant yes. he says, as he turns on the TV? Well, it's an, that's an accurate portrayal of the television. I mean, back in, uh, I mean, heck, even the early 80s when you would turn the TV on, it would take a second for the sound to catch up to the video. It's just an unnecessary word maloon, I think. Well, it is, yeah. Uh, but we find out that the person whom Beast lip-read the word mutant is a federal judge who had founded the Federal Council on Mutant Activities. And uh, he conducted a five-year study which conclusively shows that mutants are a menace to human dominance on Earth. (laughs) Human dominance? (laughs) I don't know. Well, I mean, the, the mutants could drive the humans extinct, which would then challenge their dominance of the planet. Wow. <laughs> That's best. pretty intense. Yeah, it's the best I can a 1969 comic. So I can't believe he said like there's I I I can't like imagine an argument of anybody uh credibly being humans like something about human dominance. I, but all right. <laughs> you saw it here. I, I don't live in a mutant world, so what can I say? So they flip to the television studio and they introduce the special assistant of this judge whose name is Trask, Larry Trask. Didn't you want to say it more excitingly? Larry Trask. I was going for a more Bond thing, but hey. Trask, Larry Trask. 
who, of course, is the son of Bolivar Trask, which Iceman points out a little bit later on. Which we uh, we we wondered if Bolivar Trask was dead in that last shot of him, and I guess he was. He was absolutely killed. I don't know if that ever gets retconned. We'll find out. Yeah. I like these shots of the TV, by the way. They they draw lines through the characters mm-hmm. so that they look slightly different. Mm-hmm. Looks like they're on TV. It's a neat little effect. So he says, uh, you see, I'm not the first Trask to decry the mutant menace. My father did three years ago. So... It's been three years. Wow. If you're keeping score, everybody, that doesn't really tell you what time of the year it is, but it would tell you that, I guess, um, all of the X-Men are about 20. So about 50 issues have passed, or maybe maybe 45. So in the span of 45 issues, it's been about three years. That's almost that seems, like, it's almost like that's, three that's years. That's almost real time. time. Yeah, exactly. This is back when they were like, this series won't last more than five or six years. <laughs> um, Iceman looks like a total dweeb in this thing. Hank, do you know who that must be? The son of Bolivar Trask. And he points at the TV. Look, 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 that guy, that guy. <laughs> Beast kind of gives him a, a knowing hush and says, I know, lad. Now listen. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shh, I'm trying to watch. The adults are trying to watch TV. <laughs> Uh, and he recounts the tale of being with his father on that fateful day when they breathed life into the first sentinel. And Larry said, you'll be famous for this, Dad. But Bolivar was not concerned with fame. All he cared about was safety for humanity. Yeah. And then... Interesting thing in this panel is we get a uh, we get a nice shot of... Uh, a close-up of uh, what's his name, Larry, uh, and and it's and it's uh, unlined. Uh, it's all just colors. Oh yeah, I didn't is, notice uh, that. I guess it's a technique called color held. Okay, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I was reading about it before this, hmm. and uh, it it's apparently requires a whole different technique in making comics. Well, but uh, it's pretty cool. This is it's the first time it's been seen in the X-Men. And it's not going to be the last time either. Yep. Yeah, it's a neat effect. I like it a lot. Um, so th- right after the invention of that first Sentinel, Larry went off to college, and that was the last time he ever saw his father alive. He cries a little and bit he... on television. <laughs> yeah. Got to get sympathy for the. Uh... Actually, you know that's pretty interesting. Hmm. The uh, and and somewhat, um, you know, uh, it, considering today's times, it's it's kind of interesting. The uh, Judge Chalmers says, "But I've given you enough dry facts and statistics. Those aren't important. Here is a more personal, more tragic account. This somewhat, you know, mirrors our own political climate where facts." And statistics don't really matter so much as appearance and uh, how you carry yourself. Mm. Maybe it's always been like that, Adam. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So he's a little sad. He said he never saw his father again alive. Um, I have a problem with this next panel. 
it's it's very well drawn. It shows Bolivar Trask crushed by the head of a sentinel, and it's got those lines that you like so much, and it's kind of done in like a black and white and blue-ish tint, so it makes it look like it's on a television. But here's the problem. At the end of issue 16, Bolivar Trask was laying on top of Master Mold. Not crushed below his head. Well, that is a problem, as well as the fact that how do you get a flashback on TV? <laughs> well, I mean, so when Larry came to the the underground park base or whatever it was. <laughs> he had cameras with him. He brought a camera. Set up over there. I'm going to go cry. <laughs> he brought a camera crew with him. Let's let's move the let's move the head onto the top of my father. Oh, and that way it'll look like he was crushed by him. Yeah, it'll be so much better for imagery. <laughs> okay, so he had a producer with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that that'll buy then. Um, and somebody from off screen, I think it's uh, Iceman. He says he's got it all wrong, Hank. It was the Sentinels who turned on Trask, not the X Men. Men believe what they want to believe, Bobby. Which is interesting. I, I I like this as a plot device that he thinks that his his father was beaten. Like he ne- he never realized. Although, what didn't it happen on TV that the that the Sentinels flipped out? Yeah, the and, Sentinels flipped out on live TV, and pretty clearly took Oliver Trask away with them. Yeah, back to the base. No. I guess he's never seen that footage. Short-term memory. Yeah. But suffice... He wants to believe. Like like V says, he wants to believe that the X-Men were responsible. Yep. Suffice to say, uh, he blames the X-Men and their ilk for this. So he's spent years collecting evidence and documenting the case against mutants. And only hours ago, they attacked the authorities on the banks of the Nile. Oh, so we're tying the two stories together here. That's kind of nice. But the time has the run time out. time has run out for those murderous freaks. For my father taught me much before he died. So much that I can stand before you today and proclaim the Sentinels live. Next, but will the X-Men? Oh, oh and, and I just noticed there's a Sentinel outside the window. <laughs> I didn't notice that the first time. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, there's a Sentinel creeping in towards Beast and Iceman who are watching... Larry say the Sentinels live. So there you... the mutant hatred starting. We're getting somewhere. This this was this was a pretty good issue. Absolutely, I like this issue a lot. This was uh, it was much better than the last issue. I, I think... like how I like how we're kind of uh, we're no longer doing like story arcs so much as like a continuing story. Right. Right. Um, I think last issue was spent just trying to right the boat, as it were. Right. <laughs> so I think now uh, Neil Adams and Roy Thomas are kind of like, all right, let's go this direction. Let's kind of clean up some of those little plot points we had problems with earlier. Or maybe not. I don't know. But this isn't our only story, and uh, we've got a real winner of a uh, Origins of the Uncanny X-Men. This isn't an origin, Adam. Well, it it says it is. It does it? Oh, it does say the origins of the Uncanny X-Men. But this is more of a power display or power story for Marvel Girl 
than it is an origin. In fact, this is not an origin at all. This is just no. It, it's not. It's it's it's. This is this is like a series of pinups. It's a display of her powers. But the thing is, the difference here is that uh, they thought it'd be glitzy if, for a change, they would make this featurette written by a supposedly weaker member of the sex. A member of the supposedly weaker sex. Mm-hmm. So lovable Linda Fight, ex-Marvel staffer and X-Men fan supreme, is at the writing helm. It's penciled by Werner Roth, inked by Sam Granger, edited by Stan Lee. And this, this title is The Female of the Species. Yeah. So... So we get another one of these things of, of Marvel Girl's powers. We get a pit-up of Marvel Girl where she talks about her mental powers and uh, she she says she's going to turn the page telekinetically and, uh, and but, but, but if it doesn't work, could you guys do it for us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she picks apples with her powers. Little and... did she know you would be reading this on an iPad. Yeah. I'm not flipping the page at all. I'm just swiping. <laughs> so much for that. She pick, she picks apples. She cuts apples. Um, and and then this next panel. Um, oh, she's doing all this telekinetically, by the way. So the apples come down from the tree telekinetically, and the knife is floating in the air. And she's making an but apple in the next pie. Panel, she lifts up the chair and she says, "I can whisk all the dirt and dust outside where it belongs." That is freaking awesome. <laughs> That is like the great, I, I wish I had, tele, if I had telekinesis, that's all I would do is clean my house. <laughs> my house would be the cleanest house ever. I think it's funny though. Like you can tele, telekinetically moved the dust yeah. outside. That's <laughs> awesome. I think that is funny that they decided to portray her doing housework as an exhibit of her power though. Well, then they point out, but that's enough of the hints from Heloise. Who the heck's Heloise? I don't know. Some woman who gives house hints. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Do you think uh, she can, My like... powers become really useful when I have to deal with some of the bad guys running around on our fair planet. I can make a... What is that thing called? It's either a scepter or a mace, however you want to call it. I'm going to go with a mace. Okay. I can make the mace move away from me when it's being thrown at me. And I can do that to protect my fellow X-Men. I can grab a pair of scissors to help untie me because I always carry a spare pair of scissors. It, and she can never turn down a date on the pretext that she's all tied up. <laughs> Sexy. Yes. Her gloves are colored in, but there's no glove line. Oh, I see that. <laughs> um, she can unlock doors, which is pretty cool. She but can lock them from like the other side. She can mentally search out the lock and then telekinetically open it. Uh, she can go volcano hopping just to show that she's a speed demon. Yeah. I don't really get this one, but okay. Yeah. I, I don't really get it, but it kind of leads into what I thought it was talking about, which is that she can sort of fly, uh, levitate mm -hmm. and she can down levitate, mm -hmm. uh, very I, gently. I can as go a falling leaf. I can go up and I can go down. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a window handy, we. She um, and she uses Professor X's uh, brain-conquering power. Mm -hmm. She has that, too. She hasn't been really using that that often, though, has she? No, I don't, she hasn't really. 
She hasn't got the, the she hasn't she doesn't have a mastery of mind wiping. Yeah, not enough yet. mind wipe yet. But I like how she's like around the corner behind this guy. And is she, this the same guy that threw the mace? Yeah, it's just no, no, it's a different guy. Apparently, it's just like random bad guy or something. Um, she can concentrate and will a person to be defeated without using any physical force. Which she thinks she would do all the time. Yeah, like, oh, you lose. Oh, I lose. It's the same power of concentration that lets me communicate with the other X-Men mentally. That's cool. But things aren't always quite that grim. Walking down the street can be an adventure by itself. And... Some guy is, well, purse snatching. Mm-hmm. An old woman, an old woman with a fur uh, scarf. Kind of scarf. And Marvel Girl uses her telekinesis to drop a garbage can in front of the would-be purse snatcher. Now she just showed that she could mentally cause a person to lose their will and be defeated. Yeah. Why did she just do that? Like, she could mentally control him and have him hand the purse back and then go turn himself in. Yeah, but no. She, instead, she. Telekinetically causes a garbage can to fall under his feet, which and then she floats the purse back to the woman, I guess, mm-hmm. and causes his hat to cover his eyes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the little purse snatching, and she does a little purse snatching of her own by grabbing the purse and giving it back to the old lady. Soon everything is back At to... which point everybody cries, Mutant freak! <laughs> Get her! Torches come out and pitchforks. Uh, but then they realize and... she's a woman, and the last panel explains part of being normal is to turn men's heads without really trying. Finn. Look at the eyes on these guys. They look insane. <laughs> oh, girl. So there was uh, uh, in the... Okay, so that was... Uh... It was that horrible story. I'm guessing next issue we'll get the real Marvel Girl uh, origin, just like we have with the other X-Men. I'm telling you, man, there doesn't need to be a Marvel Girl origin. Why not? There was one for everybody else. Because she first showed up in issue one. We we saw her origin, which was the professor told everybody else that he invited her over. Yeah, but there's no, like, uh, well, like the X-Men don't have to rescue her, but there's got to be, like... What was the defining moment of her getting her power? Just like the defining moment for the other folks getting their powers. They can barely tell a story of her, <laughs> of her with her powers, like like just explaining her powers. You think they're going to have a story that actually tells how the professor met her and all that stuff without the other X Men? I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I don't think so. <laughs> all right. Uh, in the letters section, I uh, first of all. There's a reference back to Mark Ruinwald, who who we thought was maybe a Marvel guy, but we weren't quite sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that's that's I just noticed that, so that I don't really have any follow up on that. The one thing I do have a follow up on is apparently there was a lot of um, um, upset emails about Barry Smith and his art, and a lot of people did not like it, or maybe they didn't care for the story. So the editor's answer was that Barry came to this country from England. And he brought nothing with him except for a drawing pencil and a head full of ideas. He did that X-Men issue, and that's the one with Blastar, uh, and on his own as a sample. And he didn't know where uh, the X-Men were in the development of the series or even if the issue would be used. But apparently, Stan Lee was like, we got nothing else, baby, so we're going to publish it. 
and that's that's why that issue exists. Although that doesn't make sense because they say it's uh, uh, well, no, I guess it does make sense using the Marvel method. I suppose they could just hand it off to Arnold Drake and he could write a story around it. Yeah, he just drew some yeah, makes sense. stupid issue with Blastar and the X Men, and <clears throat> sure. Apparently, he's been working on Daredevil and getting rave reviews, and now he's back in England and set to start on the Avengers. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's the. Uh, so I guess would that make that issue Barry Windsor Smith's very first issue in the Marvel Universe? Quite possibly. I think that's I think that's what it was. Oh, there you go. <clears throat> so I found that interesting. Indeed. Next, the Sentinel Strike. Oh, they don't want to be Sentinels anymore. Mm-mm. They say they're like. Being a sentinel sucks. We would like breaks. <laughs> we need fair wages. Yes. Uh, an injury to one is an injury to all, etc. So um, that was that was that was issue fifty-seven. Indeed, and I as, I cannot I cannot disagree. And aside from the kind of phoned-in Marvel Girl story, it was a pretty good issue. The phoned in Marvel Girl story had its charm. Yeah. You know, it's like the old and the new contrast. Um, I don't think we got a heck of a lot in terms of feedback here. So, uh, no, our, our audience has dried up and died. <laughs> well, maybe they're just. No, I'm sure they're still out there. Yes, maybe they're just, uh, yeah, maybe they've all said hi and there there are no listeners out there. But if there were, they could go to www.redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room and they can check out all of the episodes there. They could post a comment on that website or they could check out some of the other content that is on that web page. Uh, lots of videos and other podcasts. Uh, and then you could also go to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. And uh, check out the links that Adam posts there, as well as the show is, is also there. Post a comment, one of the two. The iTunes feed is always a cool thing to put uh, a rating or a comment on. It's been quite a while since we got a new one, but uh, but uh, that's okay. I never actually even thought we'd get 26, so that's 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 a good sign right there. And then there's our Twitter feed, at go... Danger at Danger Room Go, right? At Danger Room Go. Thank you. you. Right. Yes, yes. And you can also get us on Stitcher, and you can stitch us into your playlist or something. Did I cover them so, all? Yeah, yeah, that's it. But, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Contact us because uh, you know we're just two guys doing our thing and. If you guys want it to be maybe a little more interesting, a little a little different, then throw us some questions or give us some ideas. Uh, and you can also email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. So there. Until next week, the Danger Room is closed.